This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. We continue our series in Galatians titled, What Makes Us Family. And last week, we were in the first half of chapter 4, and we looked at the destructive nature of legalism, right? Legalism is dangerous, not just in religion, but in relationships, right? If our personal relationships are based on some unwritten rules and expectations without any forgiveness, right, is that a healthy, genuine relationship? Because I don't want us to be deceived thinking that our status with God is based on what you do or you don't do, right? That is legalism. It will obstruct your spiritual growth. But instead, I want us to be thinking about how our relationship and our status with God is based on what God has done for us, right? That truth, that grows deeper and greater in our lives. That's when we grow spiritually. But the misleading condition of a legalistic-based relationship with God is this. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we could earn God's grace, God's love, God's favor, and if we convince ourselves we can do that, it sometimes it feels good, or it feels right to earn God's grace, even though that's not possible. Sometimes it makes more sense to work for God's love versus receive God's love. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we can earn God's favor the right, hard-earned way based on my work versus the free way. A few months ago, uh, one of our uh, car maintenance lights popped up. It was my wife's car, and I did what I usually do, ignore it. <laughs> and so I ignored it for a few cycles, and then I'm, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm the man of the house. i got to take care of this. Open up the hood, check the windshield fluid, and I'm like, well, I don't know what it is. If that's fine, we're good. And so I took it to the mechanic. That's just a long way of saying I took it to the mechanic. And uh, he was testing. He was doing some tests on it. He was driving it. And I was in the car. Right? He wasn't sitting on my lap. We were sitting in separate seats. And uh, he just started telling me these possible scenarios of what could be wrong with the car. And you know, I'm just Googling all these things, what he's, what he's talking about. There's no way that I can fact check him. I don't know what he was saying. And so instead, I said, Hasham, that's the name, Hasham, why should I trust you? Why should I believe you? <laughs> I said that to a mechanic. <laughs> why should I trust you? Why should I believe you? And he said, well, I, I grew up in Syria. And my dad, he, we grew up in a village, and he was the provider of the household. And it was really hard for him to earn wages. But he did it. And I want to model that to my kids. I don't want to work hard for my money. And he said this, I don't want to give my kids cheat money. I said, wow, Hashem, that's, that's a great answer. Or you're a great liar. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. Either way, just do what you have to do. Fix the car. I believe you. But it feels good to earn something for yourself the right way. Not by cheating, but by receiving it, not by receiving it freely, but with your hard work. It's gratifying. But that's not how God works. We can't earn his love. We can't earn his grace. We can't earn his favor. We, there's nothing that we could offer, and there's no way to please him without faith. 
But there's one thing that we could do. We could receive it freely as God desires it. And there were religious leaders and false teachers in Galatia that were proclaiming that salvation is granted for the righteous, for the ones that follow the law, the ones that are circumcised, the ones that were good and earned it for themselves. It was a work-based, work-first, work-for-yourself theology, and this was the way that you're considered in God's family. This is completely the opposite of what Paul was teaching. Paul was saying, the scriptures point to a savior first, savior on your behalf, a savior-based theology, and we are already a part of God's family if we have faith. And so we see Paul using scripture as evidence to prove and to show that it's always been about a promise and not performance. And so the title for today's sermon is this, reflecting on what and reflecting on the evidence of Scripture. Reflecting on the evidence of Scripture. And we'll see how Paul brings awareness to what the law actually says. And he uses an, an allegory tying in the story of Isaac and Ishmael and then makes an application point at the end. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you desire to follow Jesus, you know he has saved you. This is what I want us to be reminded of this morning. This is what I want us want you to take away, this is our big idea, that we are children of God through the promise of God fulfilled by the Son of God. We are children of God through the promise of God fulfilled by the Son of God. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 21. Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? In arguments and debates, when you know something and the other party doesn't know what's coming, and uh, you might start up the conversation, well, tell me this then. I'm going to a lawyer. You say that all the time, right, every day? Well, tell me this. Right? He's, he's nodding. But Paul starts up the section in a similar way, I feel like. Well tell, me, well, tell me this. And he's asking this question to a specific group of people. Paul is looking straight into the eyes of those who have been convinced that they need to add their performance to Christ if they're to be acceptable. He's talking to people who desire to be under the law. What does it mean to desire to be under the law? First, it does not mean those who desire to obey the law. That's not what he's saying. As we know in chapter 3, 24, he explains the temporary role of the law, the guardian, till Christ's arrival. Instead, Paul is speaking to those who desire to be under the law's authority after Jesus' arrival, those who desire to rely on the law and their performance for their standing with God. And Paul was writing to Christians who were wandering back towards the slavery of the law after they've been freed of the law. And their hearts were reverting to a self-reliance gospel based on performance, which is not gospel at all. My son is over one years old, and we're trying to starting to teach him to be more independent and self-reliant. For example, when he wants to be picked up, we're, we're telling him to come over instead of just crying and whining about it. Right? Instead of uh, spoon-feeding him, we're cutting up his meal so that he could feed it for himself. Instead of us making Indian food, we're teaching him to make 
Indian food for us. The last one I'm still working on. There's so many ingredients. It takes so much time. But the goal is to teach him to be more independent so one day he'll be an independent, hardworking individual. And while I'm teaching him that, I'm teaching him to need less of me to do certain things. And pretty soon, the more independent he gets, the less he'll need me. (laughs) But sometimes, this is what happens with our walk with Jesus. We come to him in full, desperate need, nothing to offer but ourselves. But the longer we're Christians, sometimes we can slowly and subtly begin to feel less desperate, feel less needy of Jesus. You know, Jesus, I, I got this day. I don't, I don't need you for this one. I can do this on my own, Jesus. I don't need you for this. This distracts us from our awareness of our own sinful motives. It distracts us from our need for a Savior. It distracts us from our need of his daily grace and daily mercy. The Christian life is the complete opposite of what I'm trying to do with my son. The goal is not to be more independent as we grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. The goal is to be more dependent on Jesus as we grow. See, when we are relying on performance, position, or possessions to define us, we're teaching ourselves to need less of Jesus. If those things define us, why would we need Jesus to help us or define us or save us? I want to ask ourselves, all of us, a sobering question. Or has your dependency of Jesus grown? Or has your independency of Jesus grown? Are you growing to be more dependent of Jesus? Or are you growing to be less dependent of Jesus? Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, those who rely on the law, those who rely on themselves, And Paul asks these Christians who are on the verge of abandoning their freedom, not only their freedom, but God himself. And he asks, do you not listen to the law? And law is used twice in this verse, right? The term law can be used as uh, the whole Old Testament, and it can also be used as just the Mosaic laws. And And Paul is saying, yo, Those who desire to rely on the Mosaic laws on their own performance do not listen to the Old Testament, the story of Scripture. Faith isn't about a performance, but it's founded on a promise. Paul is bringing awareness of the purpose of the laws. Mosaic laws and the Old Testament laws are going back to Genesis where the promise was issued to Abram. So let's keep reading. Let's keep reading verses 22 through 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And Paul goes back to the story of Hagar and Sarah, which was likely taught by the false teachers in Galatia. And they were teaching, you are not really children of Abraham unless you obey the laws of Moses and be circumcised. And when Paul says, it is written, He's usually referring to the Old Testament scriptures. 
where he shows there are two major ways to be a part of Abraham's lineage, but there's only one way to be a part of Abraham's spiritual family, God's family. That's what we've been talking about through these series, God's family. And Paul frequently used these words when he was about to quote a specific text from the Old Testament. But in this instance, however, Paul didn't provide a a direct quotation. He's providing a summary of the Genesis narrative concerning the birth of Abraham's two sons. Where he's summarizing the account of Genesis 16 and 17 and 21. And he leaves out some details to focus and draw out the figurative meaning. For example, when, he, when, Abraham, when he says Abraham had two sons, he's focusing on these two sons because Abraham had eight sons. Right? Six of them by Keturah, when, whom he married after Sarah's death. But he doesn't mention this because he's bringing awareness to the initial promise. And in these verses, he's not using any names yet, but he goes on to compare the twos. Two women, Sarah and Hagar, two sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael, two covenants, old and new, two births, a miracle, and through the flesh. But what I believe Paul is trying to highlight are two major important themes here to be a part of Abraham's family. Two ways, two themes, as verse 23 reads, according to the flesh, or according through the promise. That we can trust in our flesh, or we can trust in a promise by God. Paul is talking about freedom in Christ and slavery to performance to the law. Where trusting in God's promise leads us to freedom from the law, but trusting in our flesh leads us to a cycle of the slavery to the law. And Paul isn't just stating facts or staring, uh, stating a story. He's asking a deep question here. He's asking, who or what defines you? Who or what do you trust to define you? Because it will either lead you to freedom in Christ as a child of God, or it will lead you to entrapment, slavery to the law, falsely trying to define your worth, your identity by your actions, by yourself. Who or what defines you? And so with that theme, slavery to the law versus freedom in Christ, right, we go on with that question in mind. And let's look at the allegory by reading verses 26, I'm sorry, 24 through 26. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These, these women are two covenants. One is, one, one is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And so to, to get the context right of this passage, I mean, we have to have a, a solid understanding of what an allegory is. Right? It's to say something, but mean more than one thing. Right? It's saying something else, almost like a hidden meaning in a story. And Paul is summarizing the story of Abraham and Hagar and, and Sarah as an allegory to take figuratively. Right? Not keeping in this mind and reading the text gives us an incorrect perspective because it seems like Paul is saying Sarah is the protagonist, Hagar is the antagonist, antagonist and Abraham is the innocent and righteous character. 
But we know Abraham and Sarah laughed in the face of God. We know Sarah didn't wait on the promise of God. We know Hagar was forced into the situation by Sarah's unbelief and was treated harshly by Sarah. But that's not what Paul is talking about. The focus here is not two people, but one family who experiences freedom and the other one who experiences slavery to the law. And so with that in mind, we look into the text further, what Paul is uh, citing here. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Genesis 15. We'll be, in Genesis, uh, we'll be in Genesis for a little bit here. So we'll start with a promise God made to Abraham. Genesis 15, 4 through 6. It says this, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Right? The, Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to him, meaning Abraham. This man, right, he's talking about Eliezer of Damascus, a servant of Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring, offspring be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted to, it to him as righteous. But God promised Abraham that he would provide an heir, not the servant in his family, but his own son. And God backed that promise up in Genesis 12. He said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But God promised this to Abraham. This was the covenant God made with Abraham. Things are great. God saw Abraham. God spoke to Abraham. Abraham believed in God and was counted righteous. But there was a problem. At least that's what Abraham and Sarah thought. Let's go to 16. Genesis 16, 1 through 4. It says this. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So they both lived in the land for a decade, but nothing was happening. Sarah was still barren. And so what did they do? Abram and Sarah chose to trust in themselves instead of the promise from God. They tried to figure it out on their own by working out God's promise instead of letting God's promise work out in their own lives. Sarah was barren. And it would take a miracle from God for her to conceive a child. However, this maidservant, Hagar, she was young. She was capable of conceiving a child. This option seemed easier. This option seemed feasible. This option seemed doable. Instead of waiting for a miracle. And by the customs of the time, it would be legal to have a son through the maidservant. But God's will is clear in Genesis 2, right? A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and become one flesh. 
And so we read in Genesis 16, 15 through 16, that Hagar bore Abram a son and named him Ishmael. And Ishmael had 12 sons who became the ancestors of the Arab tribes and filled that land. So this line of Abraham's family figuratively represents trying to earn God's grace and love through works, trying to do it on your own. Hagar, an Egyptian slave, is linked with Mount Sinai, the covenant of Sinai, which corresponded to the present Jerusalem. Because just as Hagar and Ishmael were both slaves, so also were all who sought to be made right with God based on performance. But Hagar conceived Ishmael in the normal way, without divine intervention. One commentary says it like this, Abraham decided not not to wait on God's supernatural actions to get his son. Instead, he decided to get his son through human attainment, through what he was capable of and what Hagar was capable of. The line of Ishmael is the way of us trying to get it done by ourselves in our own efforts. But the story continues. Let's go to Genesis 21, 1 through 3, a few pages. Genesis 21, 1 through 3, the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah, as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Fourteen years later, God's promise was at last fulfilled in the birth of Isaac, the second son of Abraham. Ishmael was Abraham's son according to flesh, but Isaac was his son born by promise living evidence of God's intervention. And the family of Isaac represented not relying on works, but relying on grace, because that's the only way Isaac was able to be conceived by Sarah, who was barren and past the age of conceiving. This was through the grace of God and not by the capability of man. Isaac was born as a result of the promise, and now Isaac becomes a great nation. So this is the answer, right? This is the answer of the question of how do you become Abraham's true seed, the true right family? You can't be linked with Ishmael. That's not the right way. you got to be linked with the lineage of Isaac. In other words, you need to be Jewish in order to be part of God's family, God's true and right family, right? That's what the false teachers were teaching to the Galatians Christians. You've got to look like us. You've got to act like us to be a part of God's family. But Paul's not done yet, though. He says, do you not see the evidence of the entire scriptures? Right? Being God's family isn't about a people group, but it's about a promise. It's about a promise. Let's look at verse 27 of chapter 4 in Galatians. For it is written... Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This time when Paul says it is written, he's quoting Isaiah 54. He's not summarizing this time. And Isaiah 54 was aimed towards the people of Israel, the lineage of Abraham, who were in Babylon over a thousand years after Abraham's time. 
And this is a time where the Jewish people didn't have a home. They didn't have a nation because they were in exile. It was at a time where their desperation for a savior was at peak. Side note, our need for a savior is always at peak. It's just if we are aware of it or not. Israel, people group without a nation, like a barren woman whose children are not with her. The passage in Isaiah here and the previous verses about Sarah is linked by barrenness, not able to conceive children. And so why would anyone say, rejoice, O barren one? Nothing to rejoice about that. In ancient times, a, a woman's worth was determined by her ability to conceive a child. If she couldn't conceive, it was as if something was wrong with her, like she failed somehow. And unfortunately, culture today is only added to that list. If you're a woman, not only is there a culture pressure or expectation to be a wife and then a mother, but the list includes you have to have a career. You have to have a good body. And you have to do it all without complaint. You have to balance it all. And there's some shaming involved if you have all of it or if you don't have any of it. And that's so messed up. That's wrong. Your worth is ascribed by your creator. Your worth is ascribed by God. Not by culture, not by parents, not by performance, not by your title. It's ascribed by God. Why rejoice? Okay, I get it. My identity, my perform, my worth is in Him. But but why rejoice? Because it's through God's promise, God chose to bring the Savior of the world through the barren woman. Not because of her capabilities, but because of her incapabilities. Like Tim Keller says this. And through Sarah's family would come another unlikely son born to another woman who could have no expectation of being pregnant. Not because she was barren, but because she was a virgin. And through that son, all the people of the world would be blessed, just as God promised Abraham and Sarah. That is how God's grace works. That's how God's grace works. And the son was Jesus. And he came and lived a, a perfect life, a humble life. And he took on a punishment that wasn't his so that we could have eternal life with him. And so he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. If you choose to believe in him. Three days later, he walked out of that tomb, defeating death once and for all. That's how God's grace works. We want to experience God's grace. We've got to be aware of our peak need of a Savior. We've got to be aware of our sins. We've got to be aware and repent from our selfish motives of trying to be God, trying to be in control, trying to be self-righteous. Repent 
of that and go to Jesus. Come to me, he says. See, this line of Abraham figuratively represents receiving God's grace and love through faith. Sarah, a free woman, is linked with the the new Jerusalem, a new covenant, not based on laws, but of grace. A new Jerusalem that is above and free. That's where the children of God belong. A city where we can call home. Two ways to be a part of Abraham's family biologically, but Paul shows that there's only one spiritual family of Abraham. And this next section, he applies the text to the people of Galatia. Look at verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But all this time, the false leaders who have credited their salvation to Jesus and works, thought Paul was talking about them being the true family of God. Right? They're just like, yeah, mm-hmm, yep, that's us. Born of promise, yep. But Paul turns the tables here. He's not talking to them anymore. He's talking to the, the Christians in Galatia now. Those who have not been circumcised, those who have not followed the laws, those who were ascribed by people and culture that they are less because where they came from and what they did. Paul is saying, when you accepted Jesus, you became like Isaac, the child of a promise. It's by grace you've been born again, just like Isaac. Born by grace through faith. Paul was talking to those who firmly believed it was only Jesus, not to those who believed it was Jesus and. He's saying, if you believe it is Jesus alone, you are part of God's family and you have freedom from the law. But to the religious leaders, the false leaders, the ones that still held on to law and performance for their salvation, Paul is saying, you're not in God's family. You're not living in freedom. You're living in slavery. Let's, 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 say, let's look at what he says in verse 29 and 30. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And so we see the same thing happening now. The false leaders were persecuting those who were given new life by the Spirit of God. Those who have received Christ and experienced freedom from the law. Paul is saying to these false teachers, you, you think you're righteous and representing the work of God. You think you're doing God's work by trying to include these new believers of Jesus into your version of God's family. And you're doing that by forcing circumcision and works and performance by following the law. But Scripture says, those of the flesh, 
those who rely on the law are the true ones who are excluded from God's family. And Paul quotes from Genesis, again, 21.10 this time, and he says, what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? So when Ishmael laughed or, or mocked Isaac, Sarah got upset and told Abraham these words, cast them out. She demanded Abraham to remove them from the household for the inheritance belonged only to Isaac. But Abraham loved Ishmael. It was hard for Abraham to do. But God allowed it. God said, listen to Sarah. And again, figuratively, we see that the children of the slave woman or those who rely on the law will not receive the inheritance if they continue in that line of performance-based salvation. It doesn't exist. It's only through the promise of God, through faith. And the Christians in, in Galatia must follow that narrative to reject this. Right? Reject this. And not because of race, not because of gender, not because of culture, not because of socioeconomical differences, not because of political party, not because of their past, but because of their false teaching. For they believe in a false gospel and they rejected the gospel of Jesus. They're imposing expectations and rules to be a part of God's family where they were already a part of God's family through faith. And so verse 31, he summarizes the allegory, summarizes the chapter, summarizes it all for us. He says, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. 31 is the conclusion. And there's a shift in pronouns from the second person, plural, you, to the first plural, we. First person plural. And it signifies Paul's desire to identify himself with the Galatians. Look, we're the same. We're in one family. We're in God's family through faith. And remember, we're not just talking about lineage. We're talking about our two themes. Flesh, trusting in our flesh versus trusting in the promise. This is the thing. Slavery to the law... And freedom in Christ cannot coincide with one another. Slavery to the law and freedom in Christ cannot coincide with one another. There is an incompatibility between these two types of systems. If you believe Jesus as Lord, if you believe in Jesus as Savior, guess what? God has freed you. God has sealed your salvation. He has freed you from perfection. He has freed you from the law. He has freed you so that you can follow him. Slavery to the law and freedom in Christ cannot coincide with, another, with one another. So let me ask you, are you experiencing freedom in Christ or slavery to the law? Are you experiencing freedom in Christ or slavery to the law? 
Do you obey the law for the sake of your identity? Or do you obey the law as a result of your identity in Christ? Which direction are you going to? Do you obey the law for the sake of your identity? Or do you obey the law as a result of your identity in Christ? Okay, Robin, so how do I experience this freedom? How do I know that I'm experiencing this freedom in Christ and not going back to trying to work on my own, trying to do performance-based salvation? How do I know? What should I be experiencing? Well, on Friday I was uh, in the office here and I went to go get lunch at Chipotle. And I was walking towards the door. I, was, I saw a familiar face. It was Benny. I was asking, who's Benny? Let me, get, let me get there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Benny and I, we, we met last summer at a random restaurant. Never met him in my life. And we shared a meal. And I got to hear his story, his upbringing. Uh, and it was really good. And so when I saw Benny at Chipotle, I was like, hey, let's get a meal again. And so we were eating at Chipotle. And uh, this is my second time sharing a meal with him. And, um, you know, so I have like a semi-relationship with him. And so I asked him a question. Apparently that's just what I do. The people that I don't know that well, I just ask them ridiculous questions. I said, Benny, what do you need the most in your life right now? What do you need the most in your life right now? Just a casual question, you know. <laughs> and before I tell you what Benny said, let me tell you a little bit about Benny. You might have seen Benny around because Benny doesn't have a home. Uh, Benny sleeps at the airport. Uh, Benny sleeps on the street. Uh, Benny is staying at a motel close by. Uh, Benny doesn't have much. He, he actually didn't have a meal. That's why he was outside of Chipotle. And uh, when he recognized me, he was telling me this after. He was like, I didn't want to ask you because I, m- I remember you, you, you bought me a meal last summer. I said, Benny, no, 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 don't worry about that. The church is paying for us, don't worry. <laughs> so, we're inside eating. I was like, hey, can I, can I share this meal with you? He's like, yeah. You want to sit with me? He's like, yeah. And we're talking. I asked him this question. This man who doesn't have much, I asked him, Benny, what do you need the most? And he took a minute and he said, Robin, I just want peace. I just want peace. I said, Benny, I know this man who's all about peace. I know this man that came to bring peace. Not only bring peace, I know this man who is peace to the entire world. Benny, I know this man who came 
and lived a humble and perfect life, and he washed the feet of sinners like you and me for the sake of peace. I know this man that took on punishment that wasn't his by choice because of his love so that I can have peace one day. I know this man that died on a cross for me so that I can have peace regardless of what happens in my life. I know this man who gave me peace, who freed me from the bondage of my sin so that I can have freedom in Christ. Penny, his name is Jesus. Penny, that's the peace that you're wanting. That's the peace that you're desiring. If we are in Christ, we're free. We have that peace. Right now, at this moment, we have that peace. We ought not to be drowning in what we, mean, what we need to be doing as Christians, what we ought to be doing, what should we be doing. We ought not to be drowning in legalism. We ought not to be drowning in the obligation to the law or a performance-based faith. No, no, no. If we are in Christ, our reality is that we are drowning in the grace of Jesus through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Drowning in the grace and the peace paid not by any of us, but by the man who came to bring peace and be peace, by the blood of Jesus who paid it all. Christ has freed us from the bondage of sin, and we find everything that we need in him. We have everything in Christ. Everything. That's the freedom that we get to receive freely. That's the peace that you and I get to experience freely. Our biggest need is the forgiveness of our sins so that we may be free from the bondage of sin. And there's only one way to receive that forgiveness. It's through faith in believing in the promise of God that Jesus fulfilled. By believing in who Jesus is and his work on the cross. By repenting of our sins and going to him. And when we fall, repent and go back to him. Go to him over and over and over again. Believe in the grace that he offers us. That is the peace that we get to have. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what we've done or what you will do, based on the grace of Jesus. Children of God, the children of the living God, through the promise of God fulfilled by Jesus, he allowed us to be children of God. So do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that you are a child of God? Right, let God define your identity. Stop trying to do it yourself. It gets tiring. Let God define your worth. Let God define his love for you. Let God define the freedom and the peace that we have in him. And it defines it all. 
through his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.